Okay, I want you to look with me in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I want to start a series uh, of uh, just on the year. So I mentioned it before, Desires, Dreams, and Destiny. Desires, Dreams, and Destiny. You're going to enjoy this. We've been doing some areas on shaping and developing our inner life. But uh, I want us to look at this area of, uh, of desires, dreams, and destiny. Today we're just going to pick up the aspect of destiny. And then over the next few weeks with Andy coming, uh, he'll share some things on desires and dreams. It'll be very practical. I encourage you to get along to that. Uh, this, it's an area of significant challenge. So I want to just open it up today and uh, it'll help us begin to start to think. I want you to think bigger than you have thought. Think bigger about your life and about what God can do. In Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. And here it is. He has put eternity in their hearts. So God has put eternity in the heart of man. So no matter where you're born in the world, no matter what culture, what country, whatever, and no matter what education you've received, something in the heart and spirit of a man knows that we have come from somewhere, we're going to somewhere, there is a purpose for our life. There is somehow an invisible God that one day uh, we will meet. And in the heart of every person, there's a desire to make our life significant or to count. No one wants to get the end of their life and die full of regrets about what they could have done or should have done. But there's a huge journey in getting from that place to fulfilling the destiny that God has for us. I want to talk a bit about that today. So this desire that your life would count, this desire that somehow wouldn't end on the grave, is written into you by God. It's a God-written thing. It's written into your whole DNA that life does not end at the grave, that somehow there is an eternity, and within every one of us, there is a longing that somehow my life would count, that I wouldn't just accomplish nothing with my life. So uh, you have a destiny, and, and people have, when I use the word destiny, there's all kinds of concepts people have. So I want to look at uh, concepts that people think. When you think the word destiny, you think destination, someplace I'm going. So I looked it up, and essentially the majority of people have an idea of destiny, something like this. The destiny, they look at it in two ways. They look at it, destiny is a future that was predetermined for you. In other words, someone somewhere had this plan, they called it destiny, and it's sort of a plan for your life. It's all worked out, and you don't have much to sort of, it's just going to happen no matter what. Sometimes people use the word destiny, they think of a, it's some kind of force, an impersonal force, and it's controlling your life, and somehow this is your destiny. You know, in the movie, uh, the movie Star Wars, you know, uh, Darth Vader talks to the guy Luke, and he says, this is your destiny. You know, and as though somehow he's got no choice about it. So in, in the presentations often you, you hear from the world perspective, destiny has something to do with an impersonal force that runs your life. So they use words like fate. Or they use words like karma. There are all kinds of words to describe it. But the, the thinking behind it is that somehow something somewhere has got something worked out for you. And basically, you'll be kind of almost like a puppet walking your way down, and no matter what you do, it's going to happen out anyway. And the consequence of that thinking, first of all, is completely wrong. There is a personal God. But the second consequence of it is, of course, is the people tend to become a bit passive, and they get, oh, okay, sarah, sarah, whatever will be will be. You just kind of journey and do your best, and then it's all over. Now, that kind of passivity, that kind of thinking, is totally ungodly. It's without God in it anywhere comes very much out of the Greek thinking. Now, the problem is when people become a Christian, 
they bring into their Christian walk a mixture of belief systems from the world and then bring it in upon their Christian walk without really understanding what God says. And when we do that, we have something like this. And uh, uh, unfortunately, many of the thinking that Christians hold is rooted in Greek thinking. The Greek thinking was that there is this impersonal force called destiny, and no matter what you do, you're going to end up working this thing out or walking this out. There was a movie that came around a little while ago. In fact, I think there were two or three of them about these guys, and somehow they cheated an accident, but destiny eventually caught up with them all. It's a way of thinking that there's this impersonal force runs your life and makes decisions, and you can't do much about it. And so when people become a believer, we then begin to bring up, so we begin to get immersed in some uh, like spiritual language, and we don't ever stop to think through whether what we believe really is what the Bible says, or whether it's just thinking patterns that we've always got used to. And, uh, and uh, sometimes the teaching uh, that people receive is not balanced, and it actually reinforces this view. So when a person becomes a Christian, we would understand all Christians would believe that God has a plan for your life. So we call that plan destiny. God has worked out, I'm going to show you this in a little more detail shortly, but God has worked out a destiny for your life. For some Christians, it's limited. They would think, well, I'm going to heaven. That's my destiny. No, 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 no. No, no, that's where you finish this uh, apprenticeship and you go on into your destiny. See? So right now you're on the apprenticeship for your destiny. And what you do is very, very important. So people come up with this idea that God is sovereign. How many know God is sovereign? God rules over all. God is in control. How about that? You know all of that? All agree with all of that. Now, just follow the thinking down a little bit because you'll see where this ends up. To. Now, I believe the Bible teaches very clearly that the kingdom of God rules over all of men, that God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. No matter what rises and falls, God rules over it all. But you've got to think through what that means and how you apply it to your life. So when people say God is in control, or they use the word God is sovereign, they think something like this, he's the one who causes everything to happen. So whatever happens, God caused it to happen. Now this is really bad thinking, and it's totally incorrect. And Or they think he's the sole originator of all thoughts and decisions and actions. And so if something goes wrong, you notice even the world will say, they call it an act of God. In other words, God is to blame when things go wrong. We don't give him credit when it goes right, but we will blame him when things go wrong. So again, many Christians bring into their Christian walk this concept, God is in control of everything, and therefore I can just trust him, and I don't have to worry about what I do. Now, Actually, that's only a part of the truth, and a part of the truth can be just as wrong as if you got the whole thing wrong. Because what it leaves out is the part you and I must play by relating to God and exercising faith. So if we're going to walk into our destiny, we have to understand what God has done, and then we have to understand our part in it. If you don't know what God has done for you, you'll live your life without any sense of how precious it is, how important you are, and how precious every minute of every day is. If you don't understand what part you have to play, you'll pray, I leave it up to God put it in God's hands. It sounds wonderful, but it absolves you of responsibility to co-labor and walk with God as a friend. And in our early years of Christianity, we came in and had quite some teaching, and it was all correct, but it was unbalanced. 
And so it left you at the end of the day wherever you just lay down everything and you just serve this plan that God's got worked out for you rather than understanding that we have got as a loving father with a destiny planned out for his children which we have a vital part in fulfilling and not every detail of it is worked out for us we have to actually participate in the working out of it and when you start to clear these think these thoughts you'll begin to start to be able to understand that there's a connection between what God has planned for us and what he has hardwired into us and I want to over the couple of weeks show you the connection between the will of God and what is already hardwired into you otherwise you'll find you'll reject what God wants to do in your life because you're driven by what you want to do or you'll forget what's the desires of your heart in order to lay everything down to do something someone's telling you to do and all of this does not leave the happy people at all so we want to help in that so in uh, in verse uh, in Jeremiah 29 11 God says something like this he says now I know the thoughts I have for you plans for good not evil to give you a future hope something to look forward to so this is when people are in bondage and God says even though I know you've sinned even though I've done all these wrong things I know that, that the reason you're in this mess is because of what you've done nevertheless my thinking to you is all good I, I don't think evil towards you at any time I think good the thoughts I have for you are good not evil the plans I have for you are good not evil why so that if you understand God is continually planning good for your life not evil you'll stop blaming any evil that comes as being the caused by God it's a tendency for us to blame God when stuff goes wrong so if you're a Christian who strongly stands on the sovereignty of God you'll do something like this well I can't understand why that's happened well it must be the will of God and so it must be something to do with my character but uh, I, and I must need to grow through it or some kind of thing now, all of those things are partly true but what we need to understand is God expects us to vitally participate in the outworking of his plan in the earth and so that kind of religious concept or pass, it breeds passivity and a kind of well I'll pray and God will work it out and somehow God is in control yeah, God is in control but God has delegated responsibility and if we don't realize that we are called to be kings in the earth we're called to be uh, stewards of the gifts of God and he requires initiative and participation then we'll just miss we'll be passive and shut down and not discover the joy of all the possibilities that could come about as a result of your life you're not here to sit and fill in time you know you're here to make a great difference in life so God does have a plan and a purpose and a destiny for it. I want to show it to you very clearly so you would absolutely be clear in your mind that God has a destiny. And here's the thing that's interesting to find out, that the destiny or the plan or the purpose God had for you, he formed that before he formed you. Let's go and have a look at a few scriptures in it quickly. Have a look in Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. So you may have all kinds of ideas and, uh, and issues about how you came into this world and about your family and about your background. From God's, that's your perspective on it, which is a limited perspective. From God's point of view, he had the plan and knew how you're going to arrive. You see, I knew all about it. It's not a problem to me where you come from because I had a plan figured before you even came. And it was no surprise when you came or how you came or what family you're born into, what country you're born into, what situation happened. None of that was any surprise to God. In fact, actually, he says, it's within this kind of framework of things being negative, I can 
raise you up and demonstrate my glory. They, so have a look at just, or just, I won't go into these in detail. I just want you to read each one so you see it. In uh, Judges chapter 13, verse uh, 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, You are barren. You're barren. You've got no children. You will conceive and bear a son. Now, this is his future. She hasn't conceived yet. Verse 5, and behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor will come on his head. The child shall be a Nazarite to God from his womb. He shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Now, notice this. Before his parents have even had anything happen, not even a conception yet, God has already knows who the guy is. God set him apart, and God has a plan, an assignment, something for him to accomplish in the day he lives. So the assignment came before the person. So before they're even conceived, before mum and dad have even got busy, this person has already got a plan written in heaven for them to accomplish in the earth. See, okay, now have a look at another one. You see, another, here's one in 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings chapter 13. So you think, well, that was just a coincidence, perhaps just one guy like that. Well, that wouldn't apply to me. Well, let's try another one then. 1 Kings chapter 13. And we'll read down in verse uh, uh, 1. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar, and he said by the word of the Lord, Altar, altar, says the Lord. Now notice this. Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you shall he sacrifice the priests of the high places who have been incense on you. Men's bones will be burnt on you. And he gave a sign that this would be so. Now, you've got to realize... There was 630 years between him saying that and Josiah appearing. There's no one alive who remembered the prophecy. The parents wouldn't have remembered. So 630 years before Josiah turns up in history as a reformer, God already has got the destiny. I've got a man coming. He's a reformer. And his name will be Josiah. So God knew his name, God knew his destiny, and God had it all worked out at least 630 years ahead of him coming into being. So do you think your arrival was a surprise? Only to your mum and dad. Have a look in Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. <laughs> So for all of you who had surprises, we had heaps of surprises. Wonderful surprises. Seven of them. One named after every birth control method that didn't work. <laughs> but all beautiful and all welcome. So Jeremiah 1 verse 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me, verse 4, saying to Jeremiah. Now notice what he said. Behold... Before I formed you in the womb, I already knew you. And before you were born, I already set you apart and ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Now notice this, before he's created, before God formed him. So God actually claims that he is responsible for the shaping and forming of the person in the womb. The parents have a part to do in that, of course, too. But there's also a part that God plays. God hardwires into them desires, passions, certain kinds of gifting, certain kinds of areas into their life. Why? Because he's already got a plan worked out. So before the child's born, God's already genetically put into him some of the things that will put into him the desires to fulfill a certain course in his life. 
you think about it from God's point of view. We'll get to this in a moment. If I've got a plan sorted out for you, how on earth am I going to get you into my plan, especially since you've got a free will to choose what you want to do? So God outwits us completely. He anticipated sin would come in and we might have a mind of our own. But he planned for that still. And so what he did was built into our genetic DNA aspects of desire, passion, gifting, and orientation of our personality and life that would incline us towards what he had for us. That's why you can't ignore those things. You can't put them down because they're part of how God wired you to make you a specific gift with a specific destiny to fulfill. Right? But, but there's another part to it, of course. If I don't connect with God, I'll find my own way of expressing that, and it'll be a lot less than what God has. So God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So we're going to see how the two need to come together, what's in my heart that God has hardwired, and my connection or prophetic uh, revelation from God need to come together and then to be worked out. And if you don't understand that and you just go on God's sovereign, God's in control, you won't know what to do with your desires and dreams, so you'll suppress them and be unhappy and live like a slave waiting to be told by God what to do with your life. Think about it. Okay then, so God created us, so he imagined you and he imagined your life and he worked out what you could accomplish with your life. Far more than you realize and far more than the people sitting next to you can see. People around us see us only as we are and where we've been. God sees what you could be. So when people looked at Peter, he's just a rough, coarse fisherman that swore and all that kind of stuff. God said, I see a rock on which I can build a church. I see a man who can preach to multitudes. See, when people saw David, they didn't even invite him. He was so unimportant, they didn't even invite him into the meal with the prophet. So they just saw a little shepherd boy. God says, I see a king, and it'll be such a great king, he'll transform a nation. Others just saw a little boy. You see, God's destiny was already worked out for this young man. Moses, Moses was an angry man and a, and a, and a murderer, but nevertheless, he had something in him. He want, there was something in him, something burned in him. See, God saw a deliverer. Others saw him as a criminal. So the problem is, that life and people tend to not see the perspective of God for us. So you have to be responsible for your life to discover what God has put into you that no one else but you can accomplish. You are responsible. Now, we'll see the role of the church in just a moment, but uh, <clears throat> church has a part to play in it. But the church is not the kingdom. The church grows people to participate in kingdom life and fulfill destiny. Think about it. So wrong thinking about the church and its role will cause you to settle down and deny what God has called you to do and put into your heart to accomplish. Now, of course, we take a big risk and we fire you up with all this stuff. Then what on earth will you do? Well, isn't that good? What on earth might you do? You might find yourself doing things you never thought of doing before suddenly the dream came alive and hope came back again. So we're in a season now, God has done a lot of adjustments in the church, we're in a season now where dreams and desires and hopes and aspirations are going to start to emerge. And I want you to just, I'm not going to hurry it, I'll just take it long enough so that I can feel you start to rise inside and begin to see, man, I can do with more of my life, than, and it's up to me to do something. 
And then the how-tos, of course, the thing we need to, what do you do to get from here, your desire to your destiny. Okay, have a look now in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. So Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. And this is a great verse. And it says, uh, <coughs> Ephesians 2, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works which God prepared beforehand. We should walk in them. So who is he saying? We. Who is he, who's talking? Paul is talking. We are believers. So believers, so make it personal. I am his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that I would walk in them. Notice three things that come up in this. Number one is identity. God says who I am. I'll explore that in a moment. I am not a nobody and nothing. I am God's workmanship. And everything God works on, he says it is good. You are good. God's working on you. He's recreating you, forming you. He says you're good. You do bad things at times or wrong things or have immaturity, of course. But God says, you're good. Why are you good? You're my workmanship. I ain't finished on you yet. You're a work in progress. So there's a part of our destiny that is connected to our identity, who we are. God's plan is to conform us to be like Jesus so we can represent Jesus to the world. So he is interested in our growth and our maturing. And if you don't, you can't come into your destiny. So the first thing he talks about is identity. Second thing he says is, created for good works. That's the works, that's the things I'm called to do. So God, notice this, that the God prepared them before you came into the world. And the funny thing about them, their works only you can do. I don't know what the works only you can do are. That's your job to find that. But they're ones only you can do. Why? Because God prepared them for you to do, not for me. So every person sitting in this church and any other church God has prepared things for you to do. It's your responsibility to connect with God and discover uniquely what you're called to do and then go through the journey of the preparation and application of what's needed to accomplish those things. And that, as you do it, becomes your destiny unfolding. It's not controlled by God, who's sovereign and telling you everything to do. He gives freedom in it. Neither is it you're waiting around for something to happen. Next time I preach, I want to share with you some mindsets and viewpoints that totally stop you going forward in this area. And uh, I want to share with you some things that would stop you progressing even from this point going on into your destiny. And Lord was just downloading them into me just at the beginning of the meeting, so he must figure it's pretty important. But the other thing too is Psalm 139 verse 16. Psalm 139 verse 16. Because the question is, well, what is it? What does God want me to do? God, don't ask me. You're the only one who can find it out. Okay, let's read in Psalm 139, verse 16. Now, notice this David's writing. This is what he says. Now, my eyes, your eyes, that's God's eyes, saw my substance being yet unformed. In other words, when I was just an embryo in the womb, you saw me. Now, he says, you saw my substance. Of course, well, there's not much substance, is there? Just a seed. But in the seed, it's the tree. So when God sees... People see a seed, they dismiss it. But everything in the kingdom comes by seeds. Everything. Jesus said the parable of the sower and the seed. Everything in the kingdom is about seeds. You think, hey, you get a word of knowledge. You just get a seed thought. The moment you begin to speak it, it opens up, you get more, and suddenly heaven comes into the earth. 
You get a prophetic word, you just get a seed. If you focus on it, give yourself to it, it begins to open, expand, becomes the tree. Everything in God starts with a seed. Life begins with a seed. Everything God has for you begins with a seed. And so it's don't, don't despise the smallness of what is there. So most people dismiss the smallness because they're waiting for the supernatural, spectacular, and they miss the little that's in you that could be a tree of destiny. And we'll, we'll share some about what, what holds that back. So you notice what he says, uh, and in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. So God has a book. And what is written in the book? The days on earth that God fashioned, shaped, or created within which you would fulfill your destiny. And you weren't even born yet, and God already had a book with every day of your life written on it. Think about that. You can just read it again, because I see some of you are gasping about that one. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Now, of course, that really raises the thing, is what was the substance that God saw? Was it something physical? I don't think so. See? His faith is the substance of things hoped for. So he saw from the realm of the Spirit what it is your DNA, what you're created and designed to accomplish before it actually took on any formation in the earth. So God saw the substance. See, we tend to think of substance being this. This is substance, that substance, the building substance. From the realm of the Spirit, just Think, just look from a different view. So if I look from the earth point of view, this is substance. I've learned all my life, that's substance. Now I take a view from the point of view of eternity. And from eternity's point of view, if you can see it, touch it, it's temporal, it'll pass away, therefore it's not substance. From the eternal realm, what is substance is the things that's eternal. So what is substance is your spirit man and your soul, because they will go on for eternity. The house you're in will disintegrate. It's temporal. Therefore, from a spiritual perspective, it's not substance. So God saw my substance. He saw my spirit man with its DNA and design before any formation of a house to, go, to put it in took place. Saw my substance. And then it says, and in your book were written all the days that you fashioned or prepared or mold into shape like a, a potter molds the clay. So in other words, you see, every day of your life is important. Every day has been fashioned by God as an opportunity to grow and move forward into destiny. That's why we should treasure every day. Money comes, money goes, time just goes by, and you can't get it back. So time then, for us, is very important because it's the the season within which you can accomplish the preparation to fulfill your destiny. So don't waste a day. Don't waste a moment. Well, why would I waste a moment? Because I don't know what I'm called to do and I'm just filling in time, being distracted and feeling good. See, without focus of destiny, purpose and a clear direction to get there, we just fritter away the opportunities. We consume them up and it's like money burn, except I can't get it back. It just can't get back. How many older people here wish you could get your years back? The reason we wish we could get our years back is because we've learned a lot more in that time we've been alive. And we think, man, I'd love that chance again. I'd have done much more with my life. So what we're really saying is, I regret I didn't accomplish more now based on what I see. 
how important it is then for those who are mature people of God to then mentor the younger generation to come into their God-given destiny instead of doing what we did, frittering away years of our life on unproductive activity. So part of your destiny is mentoring the next generation into theirs based on what wisdom you've gained. And the idea? Okay, we'll just better finish. Okay, do a little bit more. Okay, you're getting that. So notice you've got some days fashion. Dear God, you don't know how many days you've got left. How many think they've got a lot? Oh, that's right, okay. Well, read the paper and you'll find a lot of people there in the obituaries that thought they had a lot too. And it, did, it wasn't as long. The, the, here's the reality. Unless, unless you know what God called you to accomplish, you can't at all be sure of that. But when you know the things God's given you, you know today, I'm not going to die today, I'm not going to die tomorrow, and I'm not going to die on this next trip. I'm not going to die. Why? Because there's too much left for me to accomplish that God has set in place. That's why Peter, Paul could say, don't worry about the ship sinking. I've got too much yet to do. God, show me I'm going to preach up in Rome. So no matter what the ship looks like, I don't care if the ship is sinking and the storm is overwhelming. God has told me what I'm doing with my life and I have yet to appear in Rome. See, so you're not worried about what's going on. Everyone else is thinking it's over for us. No sense of destiny. No sense of purpose. No connection to Almighty God. So having that sense of destiny, you know, causes you to walk completely differently. You're not fearful and afraid and ashamed, all kind of stuff. Okay, let's get, give me a few more things, then we'll finish. So Ephesians 2.10, let's go back into there. I want to throw a couple more things out, and then we'll finish. Ephesians 2 verse 10. So you notice in Ephesians chapter 2, of course, it's a part of a book of six chapters, none of which were there. Now, that's all been added in afterwards. So when you have a look at it, Ephesians 2 verse 10 is right in the middle of statements like, God chose you. Chapter 1 verse 4, God destined you. So you've got all these statements like, God joins you to his spirit, put his spirit in you. You find as you look through, you see the things God is doing. First part of it, it says, and it says, God wants you to have a revelation of the hope of your calling, what you're called to do with your life. So Paul is talking about all the things that God is wanting to do in our life. In, verse, uh, in chapter 2, he says, now he's raised you up, so you now access the realm of heaven. So he's full of excitement about the great things God has done. And then verse 10 comes. And then if you follow after that, then he says, now also you're part of a family. It's called the family of God, the house of God, the bride of God, the army of God. You're part of a family. Oh, and guess what happens in there? Ephesians 4.11, there's people there to help you to do what? Get fed every week so you get fat? No, to discover what work you're called to do. Not do the work. The work you're called to do, Ephesians 4.11 and 12. And then what comes straight after that? See, that sets it all up. And then straight after that's what comes. Now you need to learn how to walk with God and fight a fight. Because if you're going to accomplish your destiny, you'll have to walk with God and fight a fight. Because every devil in hell will try and keep you out of what God has for you. And for many of us, perhaps he's already succeeded. And you're living with a lie, living with some kind of mental barrier, some kind of hurts, some kind of disappointments, some kind of habit, some kind of issue, and some devil's got a hold of you because he can see your destiny and say, i got to stop him, i got to stop him. So you have to learn to walk with God and fight the fight. That's why we teach you how to walk in the Spirit and fight the fight of faith. If you don't, you can't fulfill your destiny. You want to learn how to do this. Let's just finish in this area of workmanship. So you're his workmanship. That word means something beautifully created by God. 
another way it goes like this it means it means someone it means to bring into existence something that's unique and is designed for an assignment that could never take place by itself so you are something uniquely created by God especially for a unique assignment and you could never this could never have taken place accidentally you are a creation of God absolutely unique your DNA is unique your fingerprints are unique there's many aspects of you are completely unique why is it so hard to think that my assignment and destiny are unique as well? So you get into a group and into a church, you want to be like someone next to you. Why would you want to be someone like someone next to you? They've got problems you can't see anyway. Got issues, you know? And anyway, what they're called to do, you're not called to do. So mind your business. Focus on your business trying to copy someone else and be like someone else. I've seen people clone. They end up talking like the person. You think, what happened to you? Where did you go? I don't know. <laughs> I just don't, need, I don't know who I am. I'll copy Lynn and be like Lynn and speak and preach like Lynn, all that kind of stuff, see? Or like Ian or like this one. You're called to be yourself. And you can't be successful at being someone else. Have a look at Peter Sellers. He ended up crazy at the end because he acted so many parts and know who he was it's lost sight of who he was by many people isn't it really so your workmanship created in Christ Jesus and notice this that God ordained before in other words God made all the preparations before you were born that you would have what you needed to fulfill your assignment works that God prepared for you that you each believer God has prepared an assignment things for you to accomplish no one else can do it but you. And God took a lot of time to think through what it would be. And you know what? why it suits you? Because it's wired to your background. It's wired to your DNA. It's wired to the desires of God for you. It's wired to the designs in your, of desires in your heart. It's wired to your passions. It's wired to your giftings. It's wired to everything that's unique about you. And he prepared it for you. And so destiny is about discovering why God has placed me in the earth, what he's uniquely called me to do. And there are two aspects to that, or many aspects, I suppose, but here's the thing. And notice it says that you should walk in them. Now, it doesn't say that God is going to bring it about automatically. It says you've got to walk in these things. Walk means you must take personal responsibility to cooperate with God in his destiny being outworked in your life that you would walk in them. It's a day-by-day -day choice to connect with God and begin to unravel and outwork in our lives what God called us to do. So for that, there are two things that are needed. Number one, you need to connect with God and listen to God. Why? Because otherwise, you'll be very, very limited in what you accomplish with your life because you'll think at too low a level. But the moment you connect with God, we then find a place of empowerment in Him, of connection to Him, of endorsement from Him, of, uh, of, of bigness of thinking from Him that we wouldn't normally have. But the other place you've got to look is into your own heart. How has God wired me? What desires are there? What dreams are there? What passions are there? What things are in my heart? In other words, if I could accomplish anything I really wanted to accomplish, what would it be? What do I desire more than anything? We'll go into those aspects of that and how you outwork that in your life and how you connect the desires of God with the will of God. So it's neither one nor the other. God knows what he's got for you. It's bigger than your thoughts and your desires. But within it, he gives you room to have freedom to create. Here's one of the things you'll learn with God. 
although he has the big design for you and he knows the details of it and foresees the details, he gives to you responsibility for initiative. And what, what is called initiative is faith. I actually get to do something and make decisions and make choices and make plans and commit my plans to God and outwork my plan. So you notice that we just finished with this quote. In, in, Matthew, uh, sorry, in, in Luke chapter 19, when the king went and he went to the far land to return and to, uh, uh, with his kingdom, it's a picture of Jesus Christ coming again, he gave something to all of his servants, and notice what he said to them to do. Occupy, be productive, take initiative until I come. So if the master says, take initiative, why do you have to ask him to tell you what to do all the time? Only young believers have that issue because they haven't to learn to obey. As you walk with God more and more, you are in touch with what's in your heart and the heart of God, and you delight yourself in the Lord and the desires in your heart he begins to give you. That's how it all works together. Father, we just thank you that you have designed us for greatness. Some of it is in this life, and most of it is going to be in the ages which are to come. But today is a great day for every one of us, an opportunity to connect with the living God, to discover what you put in our heart, to develop those things, and to find a way to fulfill that call. Father, I ask that, that every person in this congregation today would feel the stir and challenge of your spirit to awaken and listen to the desires of the heart, to begin to awaken to the dreams the possibilities that you will put into us. We open ourselves, Lord, to break out of limitations, religious limitations, theological limitations, cultural limitations, background limitations, worldview limitations. We open ourselves to break out of all of those things. We want you to expand our vision and dream and lift us to a whole new dimension. Father, I just pray that you would in this next few weeks, begin to stir a fire that would burn for people to draw near to you and to begin to discover and search what is in the heart. Just while our eyes are closed and heads are bowed, the first journey to destiny is to recognize that God has put eternity in your heart and to make a decision to receive Jesus Christ. You may watch it on television, you may be sitting here today, but today is a day for you to make a decision to receive Jesus Christ. When you receive Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. You are connected to heaven. The Spirit of God is within you. The kingdom of God has begun like a seed in your life to be nurtured and to be grown until there's a manifestation in a great way of the life and kingdom of God through you. What a day to make that decision right now. I'd like you to follow me in a very simple prayer. This prayer is the sinner's prayer and this prayer would help you to make the first step in a change to walk into your destiny. You've already taken some steps but didn't know it. But today you could make the most important step to begin partnering with God who designed your destiny. I wish someone could tell you what you're made for and what you're called to do. But only the one who made you can really do that. Why don't you join with him today? Let's just pray the sinner's prayer together. Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you for loving me, for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, for preparing a destiny for me. I turn away from sin, a life without you. I turn to you, the living God. 
Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I receive forgiveness for all my sins. I receive your Spirit into my heart. And I give you my life today. Before heaven and earth I declare, Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord and my friend forever. Amen.